0: Well, let's go ahead and take our Bible at this time and turn to James chapter number three. James chapter number three. I was kind of hoping for the rapture before we got to James chapter three, because this is such a convicting passage for me, and uh, one that I need, uh, one that God has spoken to my heart about this week as I've been studying, Um, but I was kind of hoping that I wouldn't have to have that type of conviction and that the Lord would rapture us out before, but uh, here we are, James chapter 3, and as you're finding that, uh, please go ahead and stand if you're able to do so in reverence and respect for the reading of God's holy word. James chapter number 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And uh, I do plan to finish this entire passage because I don't want to spend too long here. I want to move on. <laughs> this is a convicting passage, and so let's let's uh, let's hit it and move on. But James chapter one and verse, or James chapter three, verse one, the Bible says this: My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell." For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? With that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your perfect Word of God. Lord, as we come to this passage, Lord, it's convicting just simply reading it. Because, Lord, all of us struggle with our tongues. God, I pray that you would help us today to understand what it means to tame our tongues. And God, I pray that you would help us to go from this place different than we were when we came in. Lord, you'd change us from the inside out. May it be evident in the speech that comes out of our mouths this week. May it be evident throughout our lives from this point on that We're going to be talking like a Christian should talk. And we pray that you would work in our hearts as only you can. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to be talking about the world's smallest but largest troublemaker, which is the tongue. Now, the tongue is a relatively small part of our bodies. The average person's tongue is about four inches long from the inside to the very tip. Now, you don't have to try to measure it right now, okay? You can do that later today and see if you are average or not. Uh, But the average person has about 10,000 taste buds and they're replaced every two weeks or so. James isn't wanting to deal with what we eat and the taste of the food. Here in chapter number three, he's addressing what the tongue communicates. And the tongue does communicate quite a bit, because did you know this, that the average person spends one-fifth of his or her life talking? Now, I imagine the uh, female gender kind of helps that average go that high. Uh, Usually, ladies like to talk more than men do, and say a few more words than men do. Uh, But that's not what we're going to get into today. Uh, And someone said, if all of our words were put into print, the result would be this. A single day's words would fill a 50-page book, while in a year's time, the average person's words would fill 91 books of 200 pages each. So just a lot of words that come out of our mouth, and we don't even remember 99% of them. um, But God does remember each one that comes out of our mouth. I was uh, reading, a, reading a little bit about Watergate and the, uh, the scandal that that was back in the day, and, and, and what was going on is they were trying to bug the phones, and the reminder for all of us is that God bugs each and every one of our mouths, and He takes notice of every word that comes out of our mouth, the idle words we're going to have to give an account for, Jesus says. We know that, obviously, uh, it's not technically our tongue's fault for the words that come out of our mouth. You see, every word that comes out of our mouths starts in our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 12, in verse 34, he said, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So the tongue is only doing what the heart has already said for it to do. And, of course, the brain, we all know how it all works. But but today we're going to be looking at the tongue, and specifically the title, Taming the Tongue. Now, James is talking to believers here. In verse number 1, he says, My brethren... And later in this passage, in verse number uh, number 10, he says, My brethren, these things ought not so to be. So he's talking to believers, to Christians, who have been born again and and uh, he's, he's giving, giving them uh, instruction regarding the Christian life, what, what their lives should be now that they are a believer in Jesus Christ. And in James chapter 1, verse 18, he says, "...of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures." So he's referencing the, the new birth, the, the fact that we've been born again, and, and, and beyond that, now, now there's some things he instructs us with. And, and we've already looked at a few of them, that now that we're believers, now that we've been begotten of his own will by the word of truth, we are to receive the word of God. We are to obey the word of God. We are to treat those uh, without much with love and kindness. We're, we're not to be a respecter of persons. Last Sunday, we looked at the, the fact is that our faith ought to be evidenced in our works. It, 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 if faith alone is not enough. If true, genuine, saving faith is going to produce real fruit and real works. And now James says that a believer, a sincere believer, should have a different speech than before. They were saved. And I imagine that a lot of us who got saved a little bit later in life had a speech problem, and I'm not talking about a speech impediment. Uh, my, dad, my dad has, we, we make fun of my dad for how he says breakfast, he, he doesn't know how to say the K there, so he just says breakfast. And so my brother and I always joke with him, we're like, hey dad, you want to get some breakfast? And he's like, stop making fun of me. Um, my dad is going to come up later in the sermon as another illustration, but it's going to be more about how bad I was. Uh, But anyway, we're not talking about speech problem as far as impediment or stuttering or anything like that. We're talking about the language that we used before we came to Christ the verbiage that we would comfortably just throw around and, and the type of uh, talk that we would do on the regular, uh, it ought to be different now that we're a Christian. See, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, including our speech. So this morning, I want to dive into this passage and learn how we can tame our tongues. First, let's look at number one here: the power of the tongue, the power of the tongue. And then, throughout this entire passage, we uh, see so many different illustrations of uh, the power that our tongues uh, possess. Now, first, uh, James starts with a word regarding leadership. He, in verse number one, he says, "Be not many masters." What was happening evidently there to the group of believers that? Uh, James was addressing is that many of them wanted to kind of elbow their way into leadership and say hey I want to be up on the platform. I want to have some influence and some leadership. I want everybody to call me a master And I want to be in a place where I'm doing the teaching And so there was just a lot of people trying to you know jockey into their position so that they could have some influence And James is saying, don't don't do that. Stop that. Be not many masters. And then he gives them the reason why you ought not to really desire that type of position. Because in verse number one, he says, knowing that we, those who are leaders, those who are teachers, those who are preachers, shall receive the greater condemnation. So he gives a tremendous, stern warning about those who are in a leadership position are held to a little bit different standard. There is going to be a greater condemnation for those who are in that type of position and use their tongues to do wrong. The judgment seat of Christ is an event that is going to happen. All of us will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for the opportunities that we had. And for those who are are in leadership, there is going to be a little bit different of an appointment than for those who are not. So instead of just saying, well, I sure love to be the pastor, because then I get to call the shots, because then I get to do all that stuff, I'm telling you, it's not something really to desire, because here's the warning, we shall receive the greater condemnation. Yeah. Yeah. The judgment seat's going to be a little different for those who have that type of authority that God has given than for those who don't. And it's not going to be like, oh, well, we're going to get a bunch of like, accolades and, and uh, pats on the back. I, I think, in my case at least, there's going to be a greater condemnation. Because I know that I haven't been perfect. I know that I've struggled in some areas. James starts here with a word regarding leadership. He says, don't desire that type of position because there is a greater accountability. But it doesn't just apply to teachers. The tongue doesn't just, and struggles with the tongue don't just apply to those who have a position of leadership. Because notice in verse number two, he starts with this, for in many things we offend all, all of us struggle with this. And we all have a responsibility with our words. Okay, what kind of power does the tongue possess? Now, let's look at four types of power that the tongue possesses. First of all, it has the power to direct. He, he says in verse number two, he goes on to say, if many, for in many things we offend all. All of us are guilty of this. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And able also to bridle the whole body. And, and one commentator, as I was studying for this, uh, thought back to the, or pointed to the fact that James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ, and, and probably as he penned this, was thinking about the perfect man, Jesus Christ, who never did offend in word. He never did say anything bad about somebody or to somebody. He, he, he always said everything perfectly. He was a perfect man, and, uh, and of course, no one here is. Then he goes and talks about the bridle of the whole body, and able to bridle the whole body, and 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 then here he gives the example of uh, of verse number three. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that we may uh, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Now the average horse weighs around a thousand pounds, and I know that that is a very obviously goes much bigger than that and uh, much less than that as well, but. Uh, the average horse weighs around 1,000 pounds and by nature has a very wild heart. they they got to be broken, and the way a horse is broken is by putting a little bit in their mouth. And I have a picture of a horse here uh, with the bridle with that bit in its mouth. And of course, how many of you have ever ridden a horse? Would you raise your hand? Okay, Most of us have had the opportunity to do that. I have. Uh, before we came here to Oklahoma we had some friends in Montana who had some horses, and uh, Luke really, really wanted to ride a horse, and uh, he was kind of like a wannabe cowboy, you know, he always dressed like a cowboy and really just wanted to be around horses. So our friends said, we need to give you that opportunity, and, and I got to go with him, and, and uh, we got to ride horses, and, and everything was going so well on my horse ride. Until the very end, <laughs> trying to get my horse to just go up this little, this little bump. Well, the horse didn't want to go up the little bump. And so it just kind of like collapsed. And so I just fell over on top of it and kind of ate some dirt in the process and kind of scratched my hand all up. And, and everybody was like, uh, the, the owners of the horse were like calling the horse's name, like Charlie, let's just say Charlie, Charlie, what are you doing? Don't do that. I'm sorry, Eric. I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's Okay. But those bits are able to control those big, huge monsters of animals, okay? They're not monsters, if you're a horse lover. I'm not calling your horse a monster, okay? But what I'm calling is, these are big animals, these are big beasts, and a little bit is able to direct that huge, huge beast. Okay, so he uses the example of a bit and and a horse mouth. And he says, look, in verse number uh, three, he says, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may abode, and we turn about their whole body. But then he gives a second example of direction as well in verse number four, and that is the rudder of a boat. And he goes in verse number four, and we'll put a picture of a boat up here too. This is the Bismarck, and I'm gonna share a little bit about that here in a second. But verse number four says, behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. So the little rudder is very insignificant little piece of the boat that actually determines the direction of where this boat goes. And it's pretty amazing. I mean, this huge piece of equipment, this little little rudder controls this whole boat. Now, the picture on the screen is uh, the Bismarck. And it was a German battleship uh, used in World War II. And this particular battleship was kind of the pride and joy of the German Navy. And this wreaked tremendous havoc. I mean, it was fast and it was powerful. And it wasn't until a couple of Ships got around it and fired some torpedoes, which actually hit the rudder of the Bismarck. And it jammed that rudder to where that that, that ship could only go in one big giant circle. And it ended up being the demise of the Bismarck because the rudder got destroyed. And that's how important the rudders are. Uh, And that's how important the tongue is in my life and in yours. Because you see, here's the deal. The bid and the rudder have the power to direct, which means they affect the lives of others. And the words that you and I speak also affect the lives of others. So never underestimate the guidance that you can give by the words that you speak or do not speak. Thinking about Jesus and the... In, in the Gospel of John John chapter four, as he goes to the woman at the, at the Samaritan well and and he speaks to her and and, and of course remember the, the the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, and the Samaritans have no dealings with the Jews, but here Jesus is willing to speak with the Samaritan woman. And as, as he does, she realizes that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. And remember, she leaves her water pot and, and she goes and tells all the people in the city, hey, come meet the man who told me all things that ever I did. And, and you've got to meet him. And many of that city ended up believing because of her words. So the power to direct many people's lives lie within each of our tongues. Acts chapter number 2, as Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he, was, he died and was buried and rose again, and, and many believed on him, 3,000 people to be exact, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were baptized that same day. See, the power to speak and to direct. Then I was thinking of Edward Kimball. He was, most of us haven't heard of his name, but... He was a Sunday school teacher, and one Saturday he went to go see one of the young people in his Sunday school class named D.L. Moody. And he went, and D.L. Moody was working at a shoe store, and, and, and Edward Kimball came up and, and said, Hey, I just wanted to show you the love of Christ, and talk to you about your relationship with God. And, and in that day, he was able to lead D.L. Moody to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then D.L. Moody went to go and accomplish great and mighty things. You see, God has given us the ability with our tongues to direct people. Obviously, can direct in the wrong direction, which leads me to number, letter B here. Not only does it have the power to direct, it also has the power to destroy. Our tongues have that power to destroy Verse number 5, he says, "'Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth.'" Verse number 6, "'And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our, whole me- among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell.'" Verse number 8, it says this, The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It has the power to destroy. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs eighteen twenty one: Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. When I was in elementary school, I remember this, as I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about the... The power of our words, this, this memory came to my mind. I was in elementary school, and it was lunchtime, and I think maybe while I was in line to get my cafeteria food, you know, and you remember those days? Well, somebody, hard to believe this, I know, somebody made fun of me. Somebody called me a mean name. Well, I, had, I was pretty sensitive in that day, and, and uh I started crying and got my food and went and sat by myself in the cafeteria, crying because somebody had hurt my feelings. Well, while I was sitting there, uh, one of the nice lunch ladies came by, came to me and asked what was wrong. She said, "Um, Eric, are you okay? What's wrong? And I told her, I said, somebody called me a mean name. Somebody made fun of me and hurt my feelings. And then her response to me was, she meant well, and she said this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt you. And I remember thinking, that sounds great and wonderful and all, but my feelings are still hurt. I am still not feeling great. I mean, I I appreciate you trying to come over and encourage me. And again, I, I know her intentions were good, but... I still was hurt. Because you see, the truth of the matter is, our words can actually hurt worse than sticks and stones. We're not careful. They can bring pain that will last for decades. And there's some of you who are still carrying scars from words that you heard to you years and decades ago. You're still carrying those scars with you. So our tongues definitely have the power to destroy. He likens it to a fire a couple times in verse number five, behold how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. Verse six, Say the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So The tongue among our members, it setteth the fire of the, uh, the, the, the whole course, I'm sorry, the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. He, he likens it to a fire, and I was thinking about the, the great Chicago fire in 1871 on, on October 8th, 1871 at 8.30 p.m. in the O'Leary Barn in Chicago, which started as a little fire caused by a kicked over lantern. Some, some believe a, a cow kicked over this lantern to start this fire. Some believe that uh, there, was a, there was a thief in the barn hiding out and he accidentally kicked over the uh, the, the lantern, we, we, we don't know exactly what happened there. There were no security cameras that we could go check back in 1871. But that little fire that started in that barn ended up spreading to a deadly and destructive fire that left 100,000 people homeless in Chicago. 175,000 buildings were destroyed and 300 people died because of that. One little tiny fire in that barn. The fire ended up costing the city of Chicago at that time over $400 million worth of damage. Which, if you would equate that to today's economy, would be over $10 billion worth of damage. Incredible. And so in verse number five, when he says, even so, the tongue is a little member, boasteth great. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Hey, it's just a word. It's just a word spoken in anger or disgust. And you don't... You don't think much of it. It's just like lighting a match, and okay, no big deal. Look how small the flame is. Yeah, but look how much damage one little spark can cause. I was thinking again, we used the Bismarck in World War II. In World War II, there was a man whose words caused unimaginable destruction. The words of Adolf Hitler destroyed. Countless lives. Here's just some of the statistics. 35 million lives were lost due to the words of Adolf Hitler. On the battlefields, one out of every 22 Russians was killed, one out of every 25 Germans was killed, and one out of every 150 Britons was killed. But the toll of the Jews was even higher. You see two out of every three European Jews perished in Hitler's attempt to rid Europe of all of its Jews. You see, there was a forest fire, and Europe was the forest, and Hitler was the match that spread throughout Europe. See, the tongue has created tremendous damage, or can create tremendous damage and destruction in its wake. The tongue has torched countless marriages, it's wrecked families, it's destroyed friendships, and it's even ruined many of the Lord's churches. And it's this whole member right here that has done it. But it's not just mine. It's all of ours. It has power to destroy. Thirdly, it has power to defile. In, In verse number six, the tongue is a fiery world of iniquity. So the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. It defiled the whole body. There's a story at a... There was a there was a T for officers and their wives and this, this big speech going on. And the commanding general of a base was giving this speech and it was going on and on and on, which you're like, yeah, I can kind of relate. That's kind of what's going on today. Uh, but uh, a seemingly endless oration... And a young lieutenant grumbled to the woman sitting beside him, What a pompous and unbearable old windbag that slob is. He just leaned over to this random lady sitting next to him and said that. The woman turned to him, her face red with rage. Excuse me, lieutenant? Do you have any idea who I am? No, 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 ma'am, I don't. The man fumbled. I am the wife of the man you just called an unbearable windbag. Oh, said the lieutenant. And do you have any idea who I am? No, said the general's wife. Good, said the lieutenant, getting up from his seat and disappearing into the crowd. Whew, got out of that one. You see, we can easily be defiled. Our whole person can be defiled by what we say. Our words have the power to defile others, but ultimately end up defiling ourselves in the process. A person can corrupt his whole personality by using his tongue to slander, to abuse, to lie, to blaspheme, and to swear. Clovis Chapel writes this, and it's a bit of a lengthy quote, but bear with me as I read through this, because I think it... It says so well what James is trying to communicate here when he says that it defileth the whole body. Here's what Clovis Chapel says. He says, the fault finder injures himself. The mudslinger cannot engage in his favorite pastime with getting, without getting some of the mud that he slings both upon his hands and upon his heart. How often we have come away from such an experience with a sense of defilement. Yet that was not our intention at all. We were vainly hoping that by slinging mud upon others, we might enhance someone's estimate estimation of our own cleanliness. We were foolish enough to believe that we could build ourselves up by tearing another down. We were blind enough to imagine that by putting a stick of dynamite under the house of our neighbor, we would strengthen the foundation of our own. But this is never the case. In our efforts to injure others, we may succeed, but we always inflict the deeper injury upon ourselves. So true. We mean to harm them, but who gets harmed the most in the process? We do. We do. The power to defile. Praise the Lord. Fourthly, it also has the power to delight. In verse number 11 and verse number 12, it says, Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear all the berries, either a fig or vine, fig? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Here's the deal. Fountains produce water, and those are refreshing to the body when it's thirsty. The, 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 the fig tree bears figs, which are great when we're hungry. You see, yes, death is in the power of the tongue, but so is life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's not just a destructive tool. It can be used to accomplish great and wonderful things. While we indeed can use our tongue to cause tremendous damage, we can also use our tongue to preach the precious truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That You and I can use our tongues to build people up, to encourage people, to be a blessing. Yes, it has the power to delight. I know that a lot of times we focus on the things that it can do badly, but can also do some good things as well. So does the power to delight. That's the power of the tongue. Our tongues, as little as they are, four inches, have caused so much problems. The problems that I have in my life with relationships have been caused because of this thing I have. Actually, it's this thing right here. I want us to notice, secondly here, as we continue on with this thought about taming our tongue the problem of the tongue so yes there is tremendous power in the tongue but there's another problem here in verse number seven and eight says this for every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and have been tamed of mankind but the tongue can no man tame it's an unruly evil full of deadly poison so here's the deal we can tame all kinds of beasts we can tame Lions, I think there's a picture of a a lion there somewhere. And here's this lion giving this guy a big old smooch on the cheek. No thank you. Um, But we can tame lions to do these things. We can tame elephants. I think there's a picture of an elephant playing basketball. We, 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 we We can tame these big giant beasts to do these things. We can, we can tame tigers. We can, I think there's a picture of a killer whale. I mean, I've been to SeaWorld in San Diego and seen um, Shamu. And uh, it's amazing what that killer whale can do. It's pretty amazing. And uh, I always want to sit in a splash zone, and, and that's what this front row is here. Nobody wants to sit in a splash zone here today. I see how it is. Um, but there's the splash zone, you know, and you go get soaked, and it's, it's just a lot of fun to, to see the amazing things that these animals can do, but men had to train these wild beasts, and we can do all that, but sadly, um, we, can't tra- we can't tame our tongue. Uh, we, can tame, uh, we can tame dogs. We've tried to tame Abby, and uh, we have been somewhat successful in some things. I mean, when you have a piece of tri-tip or something, a piece of steak, she'll do just about anything. She'll, uh, she'll give you a high five. She'll give you a fist bump. She'll turn over. Um, she'll lay down. She'll wait. You know, I could just set it right next to her and say, wait, and she will not take it until you say, okay, go ahead. And then she goes ahead and eats it. Uh, we're able to tame Abby. There's other things we cannot tame Abby to do. But that's a different story. But, but sadly, we cannot tame this little member right here, this little member that we all have in our mouths. And that's the problem. I know the title of the message is Taming the Tongue, but the, the, here's the deal. We can't. We can't not on our own, not in the flesh, not just by sheer willpower, determination, no can do. See, we need the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives to Help him, have him tame our tongues for us, because we can't do it on our own. As we submit to the Holy Spirit, he uh, begins to control different aspects of our lives. We begin to, as we walk in the Spirit, we, we begin to exhibit, um, display the fruit of the Spirit. One of those is temperance, and part of our temperance is what we say and what we don't say. I was thinking about... Um, When I was a youth pastor, we would go. We would every once in a while go to the um, like the local amusement park um, where they had go karts, like the mini golf place, and then they also had a go kart uh, place. And uh, and you know I'm all talking trash with the kids in the in in the line, like I'm going to totally whoop you in this race. You know, as we are on the go karts, and then when we get into the cars, I would always tell the uh, the worker there is, he's making sure I'm all buckled in. I'm like, hey, can you, can you like turn my car up a little bit? Because I'm, I'm the youth pastor, and I promised that I would beat all of these kids. So can you make my car go a little faster? Can you like take the governor off or something like that? Because I know they all have governors. And he's like, I got you. And then he'd like, you know, get his screwdriver out and mess with it a little bit. I'm like, sweet, I'm gonna totally take care of these kids. It's gonna be awesome. I'm going to dust them, you know, they're going to just be smelling my exhaust. It's going to be awesome. Well, here's the deal. Uh, we need a governor over this part of us right here. Yeah, but too many of us say the same thing. We're like, can you just, we don't need a governor. I don't want that governor over, our, over my mouth. I want to remove it. But, but as we submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives, then what can come out could be Good to the use of edifying, as Paul said. So the problem of our tongue is we can't tame it. Even though the title of the message is Taming the Tongue, the truth of the matter is, according to the Scriptures, James says, no man can tame. No man can tame it. I can't, you can't, not in our strength. But as we submit to the Holy Spirit, God is able to tame that. And the change that he can make in our lives, where we once used to talk like a sailor, now we can start talking like a saint. And I, I think of even the, the Apostle Peter, and there as he was at the fire and, uh, and, and cursing, and then just uh, several days later, he's on the day of Pentecost preaching the gospel. I mean, what can make that change? God can make that change. I think even of the Apostle John, who said, Hey, Lord, can't we just call down fire to consume and burn all these Samaritans to a crisp? They're so annoying. Then later in the book of Acts, we find John going to the Samaritans, into their villages and preaching the gospel. What can make that change? The Lord can make that change. What can make that change in my life and in yours, where we once we're using our tongue for bad, we can start using it for good? The Lord can make that change. So the problem of our tongue, but I want us to see very quickly here, number three, and I'm going to wrap this up here very quickly here. Number three, the potential of the tongue. In verses 9 and 10, we see the potential, and this goes back to some of the things I've already said, but James kind of especially points it out here in verse number 9. He says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. See, the tongue can be used for wonderful things. It can be used to, as James says in verse 9, bless God, even the Father. So the tongue can be used for praising the Lord. It could be used for praying for others. It could be used for sharing the life-changing message of the gospel of Christ. It can be used to encourage one another, to give good counsel, to show kindness, to give compliments. See, the tongue can be used for wonderful things, but the tongue can also be used for wicked things. Verse number 9, We bless God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. See, it can be used for wonderful things, for wicked things. What are some of the things, wicked things that a tongue can be used for? Well, verse number 5 tells us it can be used for boasting. Even the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. When the Cornerstone Bank, in no relation to our church whatsoever, Cornerstone Bank in Waco, Nebraska, was robbed of some $6,000 in November of 2012, The bank employees were able to give the police a fairly good description of the teenage girl who pulled off the crime and the car in which she escaped in. Well, as it turns out, the investigators didn't really need the descriptions at all because the thief recorded a YouTube video titled, Chick Bank Robber, and she was boasting of her criminal prowess. So fanning out the cash in front of the camera, the 19-year-old Hannah Sabata held up a sign that read, I just stole a car and robbed a bank. Now I'm rich, I can pay off my college financial aid, and tomorrow I'm going for a shopping spree. Later, she held up another sign which said, I told my mom today was the best day of my life. She just thinks I met a new boy. Hannah's brief criminal career ended later that week when police took her into custody. (laughs) And her boasting got her in trouble. Her tongue of boasting and bragging about how great she is in pulling off this crime ended up being what caused her to get caught. Pretty amazing. But when you and I use our tongue for boasting and talking about how wonderful we are, it doesn't usually make people think how wonderful you are. It makes people go, I kind of want to get away from this person. They keep talking about themselves Uh, Solomon said in Proverbs 20, in verse number six, most men will proclaim every one his own goodness. Most men do go around boasting about how great they are. Oh, I'm the best at this. I'm the best at this. My boys with basketball, as they talk to each other, oh, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. No, I'm taller than you. Okay, that might be true, but (laughs) anyway. Hopefully, one of my boys is listening to this message today. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. What else can we use our tongue for that's wicked? It's We can use our tongues for lying, for cursing, for slander, for gossip, for taking God's name in vain, for speaking critical about others behind their back, for talking too much, for complaining and whining and filthy talk, talking about things that a believer ought not to be talking about. Backbiting, talking about others behind their backs, injuring their reputations. An indiscreet tongue, sharing confidential information, being a talebearer. The flattering tongue, exaggerating the good qualities of others in order to try to get them to do something for you. The rash tongue, speaking before one should, often without having all of the information. Have you been guilty of those? Me? Yes, 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 yes. Check on all of them. Verse number nine, it's interesting to note here. um, He says that the men that we curse, he reminds them that they're made after the similitude of God. You see, James mentions the creation of man and reminds us that God made each and every person that they were created in the image of God. And so when you're cursing men and when you're berating others, what you're doing is you're, crea- you're, you're berating a creation of God who was created in his own image. And not good. Not good. And he says in verse 10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. But we shouldn't be coming to church on Sunday, singing these hymns, and then as we walk out the door going, well, and then we start criticizing somebody in the church. That ought not to be, brethren, because we're part of God's family now. There needs to be a change. Maybe that was normal behavior before you became a Christian, but that ought not to be normal behavior as a Christian. So the potential of the tongue. Let me just wrap this up with number four, the priorities of the tongue. Let me start with an illustration that I mentioned with my dad. When I was younger growing up, I remember one time I was sitting at the dining room table and it was me, my little brother, my dad and my mom. And I think my mom was talking to me about something and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember lashing out to her and, and talking back to her. And I basically said no. My dad didn't just go, Oh, well, I appreciate you sharing your opinion. No, he said, Young man, follow me. I didn't really want to follow him. He was heading to their bathroom. And he took me into their bathroom and. On their bathroom counter was a giant glass jar filled with bars of soap. And he took the lid off and he put his hand in there and he picked up a bar of soap. And he's like, young man, I don't ever want to hear you talk back to your mother again. We're going to wash your mouth out with soap. Okay? If I did a raise of hands, how many of you had that happen? I'm sure there'd be a few hands up, okay? And he, sa- and he says, okay, now open your mouth. Mm-mm. <laughs> I don't wanna open my mouth. Mm-mm. Open your mouth. And then he took his fingers like this. Okay, my mouth is now open. Okay. He put that, he put that soap in my mouth and he's like, now bite down. Uh-uh. <laughs> He helped me bite down. So that soap was caught in my teeth. He took it out and of course it's like (laughs) spitting it all out and it was horrible, horrible taste. My dad said, Eric, don't you ever talk back to your mother like that again. Okay, why am I sharing that with you? I'm not necessarily advocating everybody to go home today and wash your kids' mouths out with soap. Although, the vocabulary probably would be cleaner if more parents did that, rather than think it's cute and funny when their children are saying bad words and things like that. A lot of people are like, isn't that so cute? It's horrible. We don't need to think it's cute and funny. But, But see, what we need more than soap in the mouth is to be washed from the inside by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we need. That's the first priority of the tongue is to make sure that we are a Christian. James again mentions twice, my brethren, my brethren, indicating that these are believers. It's not to say that once you become a believer, it's all hunky-dory from here on out, but that's the first step. You've got to have the Lord residing inside the Holy Spirit to dwell within to help you speak properly. And then... Beyond that, then, we need to remember what James said in James 1.19. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Remember that that God gave us two ears and one mouth, not the other way around. Some of us go around acting like we have two mouths and only one ear. Some of us go around thinking we have three mouths and zero ears. Let's remember what God gave us. Be swift to hear, slow to speak. And then to pray what D- uh, David prayed in Psalm 19, verse 14, because remember, the words don't necessarily come from our tongue, right? They come from our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So therefore, what David prayed in Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And then to pray also. But the psalmist prayed in Psalm 141.3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. So before you speak, maybe ask the question, Okay, Lord, are you okay with what I'm about to say? Are you good with it? Because he's listening anyway. You might as well ask that question so that you are right with him and everything that comes out of your mouth. Are you okay if I say what I'm about to say? Set a watch, O oh Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. We need to walk in the Spirit as believers. We need to do that. Let me end with this. When I was in California, I was starting to learn how to do graphic design for our church. And, and I had a friend that was trying to teach me and help me learn how to do graphic design. And he um, I said, well, I want to learn how to you know, take the text and, and add a drop shadow, and I want, to, I want to add a gradient, and I want to add beveled, and I want to add an outline, and I want to add... And I was trying to add all of the different effects that you can add on a item on the screen. He said, Eric, I'll show you how to do those things, but here's one rule of graphic design. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I've tried to remember that in graphic design, but here's the deal. Here in America, we have the Constitution of the United States and one of the amendments, the very first one says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or, here it is, abridging the freedom of speech. So here in America, we have the freedom to say whatever we want to say whenever we want to say it. And you all can't say anything, and so you just need to stay out of my business. I'm gonna, I get to say whatever I want to say. Yes, we have the freedom of speech. But can I remind you what my buddy taught me about graphic design? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can lie and not go to jail. Just because you can take the Lord's name here in America in vain and not go to jail doesn't mean you should. Just because you can be critical of other believers uh, doesn't mean you should. So with that in mind, taming the tongue, it's not something we can do on our own. We need the Lord's help. But let's remember, yes, we have the freedom of speech here, but Let's remember we need to put the governor on. Let's put God as our filter right there at the mouth. Before anything comes out, we have a filter. That God is going to approve of it before we say it. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the time to get today to talk about the tongue. Lord, this is a convicting message. Lord, as I've looked at the sins of the tongue, Lord, I've been guilty of all of them. God, thank you for your forgiveness.